Iowa everywhere. It's time for Miller and Williams on Iowa Everywhere. Presented by Prairie Meadows Racetrack and Casino. This is Iowa Everywhere. All right, what's going on, guys? Welcome to Miller and Williams here on Iowa Everywhere as we are approaching another college football weekend, one where... Well, John, my team is in like a legitimate like must-win spot at 0-4, and, and your team just can't stay out of the headlines. How are you, my friend? I'm good. Um, I may need sunglasses to put on before we get to the end of this. That'd be a first time for a podcast. But, yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's it's it, the, the wagons are circling maybe. Uh, seems like it's, uh, you know, us against everybody within the Iowa football complex. I don't know what the vibe is like at Iowa State. Iowa State has represented themselves a lot better, in my opinion, on the field than Iowa has, but it just hasn't wound up in results that the players, coaches, or fans want. And that's that's hard place to be when you know that you're not as bad as your record would indicate, but at the end of the day, you are what your record says you are. Yeah, it feels like they're just – I told this to Hassel earlier. I feel like you'll probably be able to lean back on an Iowa team or two that's been like this, but I feel like Iowa State is just so close. Like it's razor thin to being 3-1, and one, but then it just seems like they're so far away at that. When you look at it and you're 0-4 and you're at the bottom of the league and you're like – and you really don't think you're a bad football team. Yeah, right? yeah. Yeah, you know, I, I didn't listen to you guys this morning, um, so I don't know what examples you might have brought up. But 2001 Iowa, you know, that was a team that finished seven and five. They won the Alamo Bowl. Their five losses um, came, you know, averaged out to be around six, seven points. None of the losses, I think, was double digits, with the exception of one, and maybe it was ten or eleven. And that served as a springboard for the next year. Now, I, I, I wish I was more familiar with Iowa State's depth chart for next year, knowing what they've got coming back. Well, and that brings us to the NIL thing, because what they've got coming back, like it, it should look a lot like this year's team, minus Xavier Hutchinson, which is huge, obviously, at wide receiver. But they're, they're not playing many seniors at mm-hmm. all. But I also think, too, that the next, like, five to six weeks are going to be so insanely crazy with the NIL stuff where it's just you don't know who's going to be back, right? Like, I mean. So so maybe maybe can you elaborate on why you think the next five or six weeks okay, are going yeah, to be well, crazy with the NIL stuff? So this is my theory. Uh, uh, This is kind of what I wanted the main topic of the show to be today. Okay. I think it's really interesting, too, to watch Texas A&M and Miami specifically struggle right now. Like, those are the two programs that probably spent the most in the offseason as far as all this stuff goes. Really, really, really struggling with continuity. I think it's fascinating. Jimbo Fisher has to go and suspend three guys. Like, do they still get paid? Right, like I don't know how any of this works, like the because they're not getting paid for their actual name, image, and likeness. That's the bullshit of all this. Like it's right. not, like no, 
freshman defensive tackles, name, image, and likeness is worth $1 million to a company. Like that's Tree what agency. this Correct. It's pay to play. I wish we would just refer to it as right. what it is. Like, does that guy still get paid or is it all up front? Like, can he transfer now? Right. Like, I, I think it's fascinating. I think last year we were all dipping our toes into this for the first time, specifically with Iowa State. Um, you had Aishim Young, who ends up at Ole Miss. He got paid. It's okay. I'm not killing him. I'm guessing Charlie Jones got a little bit to go and make you know, Purdue, and it was a much better spot for him at Purdue, right? Like for what he needed to do. To, one example for each of our team. I think, John, I think that this year is going to be the craziest one that we'll ever have in college football mm-hmm. as far as free agency goes. And I think by the time we're here next year, there's going to be some sort of rules. There's some sort of legislation. But I think this year, and we saw what came out yesterday from the NCAA with guidance. I think that we are in for five to ten weeks of absolute madness here in college football. I I don't think that you're wrong about that. And I think one of the things you said is spot on that this will probably be the wildest of the Wild West days relative to NIL. Um, Before cemented, widely agreed upon, not collectively bargained yet, rules get put into place. It's going to be crazy. Perhaps this is the last year. Perhaps it's this year and next year because the NCAA isn't exactly the most efficient organization on the planet. But there's also 120, 131 um, FBS teams. And, you know, I'm not saying you need 131 people to agree. You just need the Power Five conferences basically to say, here's how it is, and that's what the rules are. But then you also have the component of the players. And – can they, should they, can they unionize? Can they form a player's cooperative? Can they collectively bargain? I think from a legal standpoint, it would probably be in the best interest of all involved to get that uh, problem figured out. I do think that the players will have a lot of ammunition and leverage on their side relative to potentially unionizing or some form of unionization. Mm-hmm some form of collective voice that allows them to have a a elected group of leaders representing them, you know, like Jordan Bohannon, you know, he was very uh, much in the forefront of that before the NIA name, image, and likeness came around and then allow them to have a voice at the table. Because if college football, meaning the NCAA and college presidents and athletic directors, they, the days of them unilaterally, making the rules without input from the players are over. Mm-hmm. And if they, and if they try to continue to live in that past uh, structure, they're going to find themselves on the losing end in court. The Supreme court a few years ago made that crystal clear. They will lose. And if I was them, I would just encourage and even assist the players in forming some type of collective group. No doubt. Uh, just, just, solve a problem before you have it and look at least give the appearance that you're working together with them as opposed to working against them yeah and this is where really john they're they're 20 years late like this should have started two two decades because but they fought and they fought and they fought and then they're like okay well now we'll give you what was it like do you remember it wasn't that long ago where 
they gave him like full room and board and acted like it was a huge deal, right? Like it, the cost of attendance. The cost of attendance. Yeah, I'm sorry. That that was it. And they're like, oh my god, like this is it. We're giving them a raise and all this. A couple thousand bucks, and you know it's righteous bucks when you're 18, 19. And you know what, Chris? The I used to organize bull charter flights for you know Hawkeye fans for a number of years. All right, the first one I ever did that I was the marketing arm for it. A company somewhere in Iowa reached out to me and said, hey, we want to take a charter down to the Orange Bowl in 2000. I guess it would have been 2003 Orange Bowl. Would you be our marketing arm? And I said, that that sounds great. And they're like, well, here's what we're going to do for you. We're going to give you 500 cash, $500, Mr. Miller, we need 500 bucks. And we'll give you uh, three complimentary trips meaning we'll fly you down there we'll give you uh, a couple of rooms turned out to only be one room and i thought that was amazing i thought that was the best deal i'd ever seen 500 cash i mean i was barely 30 years old didn't know my head from a hole in the ground relative to business nothing and i thought it was a great deal until Mm. i kept doing it a few more years and realized that i should have made $100,000 for me, for my participation in that event, because we took multiple planes. And what happened when I went to the Rose Bowl in 2015, well, it wasn't my money then because I already sold the company, but it was a significant payday. Um, It was a significant payday when Iowa went to the Orange Bowl in 2000, uh, after the 2010 season, it was, it was $75,000. So, that uh, cost of attendance seemed really cool and awesome at that time, but it wasn't. It was the equivalent of me getting $500 and a free plane ride to the Orange Bowl. It was a bad deal. And the yeah. players, aren't, players aren't businessmen. They're no. not even 30. They need to organize. They need a collective voice, and they need people involved with them who are 30, 40, 50 years old, it'd be great if they were like former athletes who are now attorneys or business mm-hmm. owners that have that have lived. I'm not saying they're dumb, but when you're young, you don't know what you don't know. Mm-hmm. It's just the truth. And the only way you learn it is by costing you pain or money or both. You bring people in that have already paid for those lessons so that you don't have to because billions of dollars are at stake. Well, basically yesterday, the NCAA came out and said that the schools cannot be uh, they confirmed that schools can't be setting up NIL deals and, and all this stuff. And and I think all that did is just kick the can down the road for these collectives and more just ripe, like just craziness here, at least. for I think that they're just waiting for Congress. I think they want Congress to get involved in this. That, is what that, that's one of the dumbest things ever. If you can solve a problem without getting the government involved, you absolutely do everything you can. I, I You don't want to get the legal system involved. I spent all day Tuesday of this week in a mediation um, with me and my partners and somebody else that is no longer involved with us. And we went back and forth. Hey, you know, we're going to buy you out. What's your number? Here's our number. What's your number? Here's our number. You, You go through that process. And the mediator kept telling us during the whole process, you do not want to risk this going before a judge that is not uh is not a cpa 
he will not understand the nuance of your uh, your balance sheet, your pro forma, um, and he's also not some an expert in energy. You are basically then turning the decision over what the exit package is going to be to someone that does not know your business. It's the same thing here. Mm-hmm. You do not want to put your fate if you're college athletic departments, presidents, universities. You do not want to put your fate in the hands of legislators who've already sent you a clear message that you are not being fair to the student athletes. So if they're wanting to wait around for Congress to get involved, dumbest thing ever, but it would not surprise me if that was their modus operandi. I, I just what are what are they doing? Like what are they waiting on if if that's not the case? I can't I can't figure out. It's because because it's so foreign. Because as you, you know, you've seen some of these schools, these, these NIL things are, you know, you're, you're basically buying players and it's outside the spirit of what name image and likeness was intended to be. They're starting to give some guidance that the way things have been the last few months can't really be the way things are. The, the schools can't be the ones doing this like the Iowa swarm collective. I think that's probably more in line with the spirit of what the NIL is supposed to be. I'm not familiar with Iowa State's collective, but my guess it's probably similar to the Swarm Collective. So there, I think it's, Chris, I think it's just, it's such a big, big, big deal that they don't even know how to jump into the pool. It's like, where's our entry point? Do we take the stairs? Do we jump off the high dive? Do we just kind of go in slow? Which I don't do because I hate cold water. I don't ever go in slow. I'm just it's it's annoying to me because like how uh, I'll ask a rhetorical question. How how did they not see this coming 20, 25 years ago? The answer is that they did, um, but they didn't ever have the balls to just start moving on anything uh, for one reason or another. And then I mean, what's going to have to happen is when the when the Big Ten is making. $80 million per school or whatever. There's just got to be like a profit share, right? With the TV stuff. Isn't that, isn't that where we ultimately get here? I think so. I think absolutely there needs to be a profit share. I mean, I, I'm saying, I'm going to say some things without having any understanding of the numbers of the economics involved, but I would, I would absolutely look at what type of uh, licensing revenue I get on an annual basis from selling hats and jerseys and things like that. I would carve out a significant chunk of that to go to the players because the, the, you know, we all wear the, you know, the, the logo of our favorite teams well after our favorite players from that particular four to five year window are gone. Right. It truly is. It's the black and gold. It's the crimson and gold. Sorry if I got the official colors wrong there. It's, it's the colors, it's the Jersey, but those players, while they're there, that's who we're rooting for. They just become a part of the ever-expanding universe of people who fill our memory banks with, you know, mostly positive memories. But at the, they need to be proactive. They need to carve aside something for that for the players. I, I honestly think that they need to take a they need to take a page out of the, what the NFL does um, as best they can. Now, the NFL, of course, you know, was it back in the fifties or sixties, rather? You know, they they went to Congress and they were able to carve out a situation where each of the teams could pool their television rights together, which would give more strength and create more revenue for every uh, every franchise. They they need to the college players need that 
I think the universities would, if, if they do wind up in Congress, it would be in the NCAA uh, members' best interest to show that they made some concessions prior to being forced to. Mm-hmm. Hey, look, we carved this out. We gave that to them. We carved this out. We gave that to them. We're not being unfair. We're just looking for the most fair way to be. Yeah, 20 years ago, we should have done it. We didn't, but we're here now. We've learned from our mistakes, and we're making a concerted and truly fair effort to share the wealth. If they do that, they will they will have much more sympathetic ears listening to them if we ever get to, uh, you know, Congress or some type of, you know, governmental litigation. All right, Miller and Williams here, Iowa Everywhere. We are presented by our friends at Prairie Meadows. Thank them for their sponsorship and supporting us here on Miller and Williams. Um, let's just real quick, because you got a tea time and I got a meeting I have to get to, so a little bit of a shorter show for us here today. Um, the Ferentz, I mean, Kirk Ferentz just had a long week. I'm anxious to get your take on this. He is combative with the writer. Uh, well, not with him. I mean, because this guy wasn't there to um, come back at him, I guess, but... We all saw the clip from Kirk's press conference on Tuesday. He then comes back with a letter, like a release that he penned to the Iowa media, basically apologizing. Then he's seen with Gary Dolphin on the coach's show, and he's kind of, I mean, kind of looked like, oh, yeah, I put the letter out, but I'm not truly sorry for what I did. It was just a confusing and um, unfortunate week for Iowa's head coach, clearly a man who is kind of digging in right now. John would be my analysis yeah, on it for for sure. And you know, I think that let's let's start with what he said um, on Tuesday. That was dumb. Tweeted as much. That is an unforced error, or to use his parlance, that was a lack of execution. That is something that the uh, Wickstead uh, PR group that he hired back in 2014, and I assume still works with him, that was not on their script. I can promise you that. Um, Whether he intended to or not, he basically insulted every person in that room that was covering (laughs) him or that covers the team by saying what he said. I'm glad I'm not that guy doing what he's doing. Um, Another problem with that is Kirk had three days with which – to choose whether or not to say that. So he's not dumb at all. He wanted to say that. And, you know, he, he probably analyzed the potential fallout. Um, but another thing, I think Kirk was trying to be funny. I, I am not a joke teller. I can be funny, make observational wisecracks off things that happen in real time. That's where my humor comes in. But I am not a joke teller, never have been, so I don't try to. Kirk's a horrible joke teller, always has been, <laughs> and it always falls flat. So he had a lack of execution right there. And then the next day, he comes out, he sends the apology to the media members. I think it was sincere. I think Kirk loved I think Kirk absolutely believes what he said on Tuesday. He no hates the me. He hates the media. I'm not saying he hates the media members. Yeah. There is a difference. He hates the media. <laughs> And that he has to stand up and answer questions on something that he is a subject matter expert on to people who are not. To people who might have won a fantasy football league, who may have won a a dynasty mode in EA Sports College football once upon a time, who 
were honorable mention all conference uh, their senior year as a wide receiver, but that's as high as they got on the ladder. He does not like the fact that he has to answer football questions to that group. Mm-hmm. No doubt about it. But he's not uh, doesn't have animosity towards a Chad Lystico or a Scott Docterman or or most of the guys in that room. There are probably some that he does. But then he comes back after he sends the apology, which I think is heartfelt. I do too. I a lot of people were killing him. The the people who were killing him were the Iowa State fans, where there's nothing Kirk Ferentz can say that will ever make him not be a demon, or the total like loudest portion of the Iowa fan base is just pissed off at everything right now. Like I was right. totally, I I completely accepted that that release. Right, but then the conversation with Gary Dolphin on the coaches show Wednesday night. The <laughs> the sorry not sorry. <laughs> Yeah, I st- I believe these two things can be true. Yeah. Kirk was sorry for insulting a room full of reporters if they felt that way. But I also believe he's not sorry for being kind of a dick to Doug over in Ohio. Doug Lesmeray, Lesmerisis, I don't know how to pronounce his name. Uh, I, he's not sorry for that. It's interesting to me, Chris, that Kirk said I he, the, what he asked was fair those were fair questions i just didn't like his tone and he said that more than once on this air with gary dolphin you know what that reminded me of about 20 25 years ago bob knight um had an instance with a student at indiana bob knight was still the coach at indiana and a student was walking by him and said what's up knight (laughs) and bobby knight fucking lost his shit and that blew up into a story that's an old curmudgeon air that is a hey you i feel what you're saying to me is disrespectful how you're how you're saying it to me you're not addressing me respectfully i think what kirk did versus what knight did is not in the same area as knight but we're getting close to old curmudgeon kirk and saying things like i didn't like that tone that is very elitist. And you you know what? If you don't like someone's tone, you don't have to answer their bleeping question. You can just bring up another anecdote from 1981 like you normally do when you obfuscate and you, and you basically go off on a tangent that no one asked you about to avoid the question because it just ate up three minutes of press conference. And usually people aren't going to follow up with you on Tuesday like that. You, you start th- saying things, I didn't like the tone. Yeah. You better reel that one back in too. Yeah, I thought he didn't need to go on there and and talk with Gary Dolphin about that. They should have just left it with the release, I and we all press release. We wouldn't Gary, even talk about it today. It, like right. it, we were going to move on. Like I just wanted to talk about the damn games. Yeah, Kirk made another mistake. I, I wouldn't say that he doubled down, but it it was another unforced error. And a coach that all the time talks about we just didn't execute. We just didn't execute. Bro, he's had a week full of lack of execution, uh, in my opinion. L-O-E. You, you've been through this, the ringers of this, as well as I have. I, I think we can shed some light on it for fans. Ference's tenure is fascinating to me because it's very – you know, Iowa, maybe you have it, John. Um, at Iowa State, I've noticed a very significant trend over the years. When coaches first get hired, they're phenomenal to work with. They realize the value of the media. They want to give you access. They are very welcoming. 
They appreciate coverage. And then, um, usually, unless it's a complete disaster, uh, Chiswick would be the only example, but I don't think he was there long enough to really call it that. But usually there's an uptick in performance. And uh, take Paul Rhodes, for instance, right? And then you get to a certain point where you you have a certain value now, um, and things are still good. And then you have your first uh, your first bump, right? And then you can start to get defensive, and the relationship with the media is completely different. And then it usually trends downhill, and by the end, things are unraveling. Ference has lived through like three of these. Uh, he's he's gone through like three of these cycles, and I I've been watching from a distance. I, I've never I've never asked Kirk Ferentz. He's been on my radio show before, but that's a different type of setting. I've never sat in that press conference and grilled him weekly. Um, it he, it's it's like um again it's like his third one, and I feel like he this is his adversarial. Is he? This reminds me of the end of the Rhodes era. Would be the number one thing that I because Paul hated end of the, us. End, end of the roads. Paul, <laughs> there you go. Paul hated us by the end. It, it was it wasn't fun to go to. And this was a guy who was probably the most jovial coach I've ever covered at the Playing first an half. Some sideline guitar. Yeah, yeah. The beginning of his tenure, I, I don't think I've ever enjoyed covering a coach more than I did Paul Rhodes. But by the end, it was miserable. It was miserable. Um, you know, he's holding up the Alan Lazard letter and yelling at us. And like, it was really, really uncomfortable. And it just feels like Kirk is at this point right now where they damn well better win on Saturday. Cause everything is coming off as very defensive right now. And I don't think it helps that he knows he cannot be fired. Like there's no accountability here. And I think that he thinks he can, cause he can. And I don't know if I blame him for the human being in him. There's no threat of anything here. And I think yeah. it's going to make this even worse here by, before it gets better. You bring up some really good points. One, the, the human being point I want to bring up. The, the, uh, you start out, you know, everything's great. Think of a marriage. You start out, you know, you have a honeymoon. You have a honeymoon period. And then life happens. And then things get harder. And sometimes you don't always deal with things um, the way that you would like to, or in retrospect, even an hour later, you wish you hadn't have said that. So, you know, I found myself apologizing for things I didn't really want to apologize for a thousand times in my marriage. Maybe like Kirk sent that letter out yesterday. But Kirk has had multiple cycles, right? The 2007-2008 cycle, well, the first cycle was he started out, what, losing 14 straight Big Ten games or something like that. We made the wrong hire. The fans were thinking – but then they broke through. He survived that. The next cycle was, you know, 2006 kind of fell off the rails. But, you know, in 2005, they lost a lot of close games. Um, that team was better than their ultimate record. But 2007 happened, and the offense was absolutely horrible. You felt like you had absolutely no hope with Jake Christensen dropping back to pass and short-hopping receivers. Jake Christensen that season was also sacked more times than any other quarterback in the FBS, nearly 50 times some significant parallels to what we're seeing right now, actually. But then in 2008, it was horrible. It started out three and three for Kirk. He was vacillating back and forth between Jake and Ricky Stanzi. And then he had that comment at halftime after the Pittsburgh game. Hey, Kirk, why did you start to go with Jake Christensen in the second half? It was a gut feeling. Well, the next week, Jake Christensen's on the bench and Ricky Stanzi never relents and Jake Christensen transfers. But Kirk dials back up, played the hits again, offensive line developed, 
That 2008 team is one of Ference's best teams, even though they were 9-4, and four, which led into the 2019, which then led into 2010, fell off 2011-2012. Another problem, rhabdomyolysis, all that stuff that went on. Kirk was embattled again. Mm-hmm. 2013, okay. 2014 was a mild disappointment. It was the tax, uh, the Hawks Slayer Bowl. Kirk was really freaking chippy, really chippy all year long. That was a, you want me to muster one up for you. Uh, year and just you know it was a very combative year with the media unbeknownst to me maybe to some people he was going through one of the toughest personal times that he's ever been through as his son brian and brian's wife were going through the loss of of a child um we're human right we're Mm -hmm. human that was the most contentious and combative however because of those personal things also going on fast forward to now Mm. this is getting combative this is getting personal and why is that because of brian because family is involved we got two things there very similar when you have other instances that it didn't get so combative brian's involved and i'm going to repeat what i said last week i don't think brian ferentz is hireable right now until and unless that lawsuit gets resolved in his favor whatever that looks like he's not hireable and kirk is untouchable right now and you know i did hear you and chris from your tuesday show this week uh, or monday show this week talking about um you know gary barda basically saying shit out loud that he probably shouldn't say that's going to open his ass up to another lawsuit but that's i mean gary is the biggest lawsuit did, risk walking around that campus did i have the right read on that i'm anxious absolutely to hear. you did okay. absolutely. that was all i could think about when read, i read, read when reset I read that story. That not, yeah, reset it for people that might not have heard it. Well, <laughs> so he's technically, to get around the nepotism laws in Iowa, Barta is supposed to be Brian Ferentz's boss. Yeah, and, direct report. Uh, Doug from Cleveland.com, who, by the way, I did some research. The guy's like an icon over there. He's kind of like their... He's I mean, been around forever. He's like Mike Halas, like one of those... Very well respected. Absolutely. And... When I read that, so I had a friend, a media guy I really respect, sent me that column Saturday night, and he said, hey, I'm just curious what your opinion is on this. Um, this is a re- more retired executive type guy, not not anyone in Iowa who has a byline. He's curious about my thoughts on it. The only thing I could think of when I'm reading that was, holy shit, Barda is saying this out loud because he's saying, well, Kirk never fires guys in the middle of the year. It's not how he does things. We still got five games to play and then Kirk will assess it at the end of the year. And I'm like, bro, like, don't you remember you're supposed to be the guy in charge of Brian Ferentz right here? I couldn't believe he was saying that out loud. And I couldn't believe that there wasn't more pushback to that because the entire column really was about the nepotism thing. It was it was much less about, oh, they're inept on offense and more where this writer has been apparently he's been sitting back for a while and this is really driving him crazy. He's got a bunch of family and friends who are Iowa fans, so he's probably a little closer to it than normal. That was the essence of that column not oh they're bad on offense why don't they fire the coordinator but i just couldn't believe that barda said that stuff out loud yep yep and to me um it's just it's dumb but gary has a track record of getting himself um into trouble uh with lawsuits uh with employees and in my opinion he's just he doesn't think things through he isn't the astute 
athletic director. Uh, he's not a politician. He doesn't know when to shut his mouth. And you know what? I think Gary's a good guy. I mean, he probably despises me because I say things like that. But I think Gary's a really good dude. He's just not good at those things. And he needs to have people around him that will tell him so and prepare him. How could he not be expecting questions like that? Uh, how could he not know right now with all the heat on this specific <laughs> coach who he's supposed to be in and in, in, in the reason why he's supposed to be in charge? of How could he not be prepared for that? It's mind boggling to me. To me, here's the answer. You know what? Um, as you all know, Brian Ferentz, uh, you know, he directly reports to me. And um, I'm going to take a cue from how Kirk has handled things successfully through these years. Kirk is my guide and example on this. Kirk waits till the end of the year to evaluate things and people within his program. I'm going to do the same thing with Brian. And when this season is over, Brian and I will have a conversation. I'll take some input from the head football coach who's more knowledgeable in an area relative to football than I am. And then we'll make decisions going forward. Done! I just yeah. made that shit up in 30 seconds <laughs> off the cuff. Why do people make shit so hard? <laughs> just... day. Yeah, I, all right. I'm glad you brought that up because I, I actually meant to text you about that. Because I, I actually thought, I'm like, what am I missing here? Saturday night when I'm reading that, what am I... Okay, so is there something, way to skirt around this rule with Barter? Like, I couldn't believe the quotes that I was reading because it just seemed so dumb to me to not even try and fake it, right? There was an instance the other week where, um, my, I'll go to my favorite sport, NASCAR, Bubba Wallace uh, wrecked Kyle Larson purposely, and it was very obvious to everybody that he wrecked him purposely. Well, the one thing you don't do in NASCAR is turn a hard right at 190 miles per hour because you could kill somebody, okay? We all knew that he did it. And he got out of the car, and Bubba Wallace says, yeah, my steering broke. Okay? Well, why did he say that? Like, none of us believed it. We all knew that it wasn't true. Right. But he said it because you can't admit it. Because if you do, you're going to be suspended for five races, and your sponsors are going to be pissed, and you might get fired. Like Because he was smart enough in that moment to know certain things you cannot say out loud, even if we all know it's a sham. And I just couldn't believe that Barta was was not in on this, but whatever. Are you, are you, are you familiar with the Peter Principle? No. Teach me. The Peter Principle is um, just sort of a business saying or concept that uh, at times, people get promoted. People do really well in a job that they've been hired for because they exhibited uh, a core competence for the role that was required. So you're hired. And then they do a phenomenal job in the role that they were hired for. And the boss thinks, this guy's phenomenal. I'm going to hire him to go a rung up and start managing people and all this and that. The Peter principle is probably some dumbass named Peter one day that got promoted and sucked. The Peter principle is when people get hired into positions that are beyond and outside their core competence, they've excelled down here, then the assumption is they'll excel up here and they fail up here. Gary Barta, I think, would be is a great deputy athletic director. But I think the Peter principle is at play to be running the show. I don't think he's I mean Well it's he's been there for seventeen damn years and yeah, they've built some state he's a good fundraiser. Ken Miller always called him the fundraiser. He's really good at that. But that He's not good at the other stuff. And the, I mean, 
yeah, you've raised a lot of money, but boy, you have spent a lot of money too in lawsuits and a lot of bad press for your athletic department. All right, uh, real quick, because you got to you got to go, and, and so do I. Iowa Northwestern, Iowa State, Oklahoma. First of all, um, little Gracie Miller is she going to be in Ames? I know she has a lot of friends who are Oklahoma students. I was just wondering, maybe she wanted to see the premier university in the state of Iowa. Uh, get up there, hang out in a little Friley Hall action. What's little Gracie up to? That's a negative. Uh, oh, I thought maybe she'd go. Yeah, no, that's a negative. She's she's working her job and part okay. of her job working for the complex is you got to be on call a few nights a week and when people can't get into their doors. And uh, dad doesn't like that anymore. I don't like the notion that midnight she's got to go let somebody in on a college campus. So we're having discussions about that. So, no, she will not be there. But I'm going to have a did, she did have a dead battery yesterday for the first time in my life. Uh, she called me up. Dad, my car won't start. I said. I'll be there. Dude, you and I are the same dads. You're a Disney dad. I'm a Disney dad. We mm-hmm. are superhero dads to our daughters. And when our daughters need something, we're there. You're damn said, right. She's like, my car won't start. Here's a video. I determined because, of course, I'm a mechanic, that it's probably the battery. Go get a battery. Get my tools. Go there. Watch the YouTube video. Started. Hero on the way out. You can, I don't even know why I brought that up. I just wanted to brag on myself. You can learn anything on YouTube these days you can't. You can't. now that i have a Listen. camper it's amazing anytime anything in that camper goes awry pull it up on youtube i can fix anything it's unbelievable <laughs> um where, where was i go oh i'm we're doing you're gonna love this so I, i'm a huge halloween guy i no, love it i, it. I, I, I it. love that you would be you know who else would hate halloween we i bet kirk our, ferentz turned, hates we, halloween we, too we, we we've turned our lights off and like gone out to dinner most halloween's <laughs> not us man there will be 10 to 15 like blow up lawn things monster mash just blaring smoker cold beer fire pit we're gonna have it all we do it all you we sit out there i'm you gonna be out a, there with bush lights oh yeah and i i'm yeah the kids know to come to our house like we're a yeah. we're a we're a good spot i'm gonna be a pickle this year just because why not why wouldn't you be i'm gonna be a dilf is what i'm calling myself if i could be anything this year i would be steve harrington from stranger things and i would buy the wig and i would sit there and look at myself and remember what i used to be that's fair full locks because now we ain't harrington boy we are uh lack thereof hair I feel you. I feel you. Um, I don't have I don't have a feel on Iowa State. I, I looked at including that in some parlays. Iowa State, Oklahoma State. Yeah, I wouldn't touch it. Half. I'm not touching that. Um, I took uh, one parlay. I put the under of the Iowa Ill, Ill, uh, Iowa Northwestern game. I was listening to the washed up walk ons before we started recording this. I guess somewhere like 86 percent of all the money on Iowa Northwestern isn't on the spread. It's on the under. Um, and I also bought down, I bought some points at Northwestern plus 14 and a half in one parlay. So, and I, I published my parlays this week. You can go to at John D Miller and see what I'm doing. I'm not saying to copy me, but Chris, uh, you know what I am, son. You're the prince of the parlay. Prince of the parlay. You're doing really well. I'm telling you last week. The the parlay thing is going to steam down at some point. I, I hope, I hope you keep winning. I can't hit a freaking parlay to save my life. It's yeah, unreal. I've, I've already pulled all of my seed capital out. I'm nothing but house money the rest of the way. I will say this week, I stepped up more units. I'm getting a little cocky. Yeah. Stepped up more units on some of these. And, and I've got a five-legger a five and two four-leggers. 
And if all those hits, insanity, uh, if all those hits, it's it's a six k weekend for Daddy. But they won't. I thought about tailing you, but I'm like, no, he's been too good. <laughs> Tell me, me with five bucks. All right, right. I'll, I will. I'll get in on that action. I mean, but, uh, uh, there's one that's plus twelve twenty eight. One's plus seven something. One's plus six something. Five bucks. I mean, there you go, bro. You know what? If if you like the boosts and stuff, now like my preferred one, Circa, they just give you the best line, so you don't. I wish get, I could get Circa. Yeah. Well, hopefully they'll be in Kansas soon. Um, for for some reason, a lot of those ones that give you the profit boosts and stuff like that on the parways, they don't offer those until Saturday morning, which kind of yeah. sucks. Well, that means I got to make a run for Leavenworth, and I'm not always one to do that. I love getting I'm the pictures. The, I, <laughs> I love getting the pictures of you pulled over on the side of the road. It's so great. Underneath, underneath the lonely overpass, all the DJs sitting there getting their action down. But no, man, it's 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 just all fun for me. I don't need a penny of it. I'm I'm not I'm not wagering good any money any money that like if I lose it, I'm gonna be, you know. I'm telling you the the live betting is if you if you know football and if I'm you glad, know the teams. I'm glad I don't. Yeah, I'm glad that, I don't have that. That's the way to go. Like I I made a the best bet of my year was watching that Kansas State TCU game when Kansas State got up 18. I pounded TCU. I I got them at plus 625 on the money line. I put 5 on that cuz I was like, "Oh, they're not going to come back." But I went heavy. I went like 5 units and got TCU at like plus 16 or something like oh, that. Wow. And like yeah. you, you just only like if you know the teams and if you're watching right. every play. I, right. In right, my right. opinion, that's the most efficient way to sports bet. But I can see that. I can see that. Yeah. But you know, I'm just I'm just out here trying to. It's not even trying to prove my. It, it is some competition. I'm not competing against you, but I'm going through these and thinking, okay. And, and I, I pretty much should stay at three and four leggers. That's what I've learned. Five leggers is too hard, even though I hit two of them last week. Um, I, I. It's just fun. It's fun. It is fun. It's it's better than you know. I bought a lottery ticket last night, seven hundred million dollars. Did I win? No. Um, but- we just lost John Miller. My God, but that's okay. We were just getting ready to sign off, anyways. Uh, thank you so much to Prairie Meadows. Oh, here he is. He's back. I'm back, and I'm Chris. Oh, <laughs> I was just gonna sign off, anyways. You got a tea time to get to. Enjoy. All right, we'll see you, buddy. All right, he's John Miller. I'm Chris Williams. Thanks to Prairie Meadows for bringing us Miller and Williams here on Iowa Everywhere. Have a great weekend, and uh, bet and do whatever you're doing. Be safe out there. Iowa everywhere.